Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 60 with Ben Nelson of Minerva. Uh, so really uh, just honored that I had the time to chat with Ben. Uh, and he's very thoughtful about all the great work that he's doing with the uh, different kind of facets of Minerva. Um, so they're really innovating kind of liberal arts education for the 21st century. Uh, definitely go check them out in their uh, book, which I've linked out to in the show notes. Uh, so we got into kind of Ben's story uh, with Minerva and how he kind of came up with the idea and uh, just really what is driving their mission and um, how Ben stays motivated uh, to keep doing this hard work of essentially creating a new university from scratch. Um, so uh, they're having their first graduates, I think, kind of just, uh, sometime in the month of May now. So there's uh, many more Minervans uh, being unleashed into the world to do good work. So uh, we were really excited to see what they uh, get up to. But um, just really appreciate the time and thought and energy and uh, just wisdom and great stuff that came from Ben for this episode. And uh, there are a couple of uh, audio hiccups, uh, so I do apologize for that. But um, the episode is so good, just didn't want to uh, hold it back. And uh, so glad that you all can uh, kind of listen into this conversation that I had with uh, Ben Nelson, uh, CEO, founder, and chairman of Minerva. Um, again, just really honored that we had some time together. And uh, yeah, just sit back and enjoy this episode number 60 with Ben Nelson. Great. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and dive in. I uh, really appreciate you uh, taking some time out for the podcast here. Excited to talk a little bit more about uh, you and your background and the work that Minerva is doing. Um, so just generally, I know I'm kind of working a similar space of uh, kind of new innovations in uh, uh, higher ed and like digital education, those sort of things. So I'm really excited to, to chat. But uh, we'll start here, uh, as we always do, if you just want to give a quick introduction of who you are and uh, how you got to be where you are today. Sure. Well, my name is Ben Nelson. I uh, founded Minerva, and how I got to be here is is actually quite interesting. I often talk to students who ask me about, oh, well, how do I plan my career? And I'm I'm pretty sure that if I were actually planning to start a university when I was in college, uh, I would have taken a radically different career choice, and probably the university would have never been started. So. Uh, I, I think, you know, I'm obviously a product of, of my background, my upbringing, my experiences, but I've found that random walks oftentimes enable you to go back to your initial mission. I was passionate about higher education reform when I was an undergraduate. I just never thought that the route to making it happen would be to start uh, a brand new higher education institution. Uh, and I... I, I just saw over the years the uh, opportunity as I worked in the internet sector to build large, significant enterprises from scratch. So basically, why don't we do this in higher education? And that's really how Minerva came about. Very cool. Yeah. And I think it, it's one of those things that maybe some people like joke about, like you, like you said, like, and if you like, you knew it when you were in school, like people just like, oh, I'm just going to like create my own school or something, you know, right. like people joke about that. But yeah, it's like, if you really were, you might have like, you know, done different things or people just would have been like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. It's like, no, I actually did it. Um, and, but, and yeah. you know, it's, it's <laughs> you know, the, the quote unquote logical path to doing it, you know, would be, oh, you know, you get your PhD, you become a professor, you become an administrator, you become a university president, right? You, you could imagine how would one start a new university? You, you'd think that that's the right path to take. The problem is, is that once you're steeped in the system for so long, you become a product of it. And the ability to 
in many ways be naive uh, is is really important when you want to do something radically different. Because when I was starting, certainly everyone who I talked to said, well, that's impossible. And it wasn't because of any kind of systematic thinking. It wasn't because of an actual critique of my plan. It was just not what was currently done. And it was so hard for people to imagine that you could do something like Minerva simply because it wasn't done before. And I'm pretty sure that if I was in the system, I would have adopted that same perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then, is there anything that comes to mind in terms of like like a moment or maybe like a course or a mentor or something like uh, or anything that you did like when you were in college, that idea of like, was there at least anything that did kind of like impact you or inspire you or, or maybe, you know, like a different moment in your life, I guess, of just like anything that really does seem like really especially personally and or professionally relevant now that maybe like, you know, perhaps in college or if not, then I guess just maybe, you know, other kind of pinnacle moment or milestone or something. But I guess, yeah, like what comes to mind there of just like one of those kind of moments. Oh, sure. Absolutely. The, the beginnings of the Minerva curriculum, I wrote up for as a course final paper, Mm -hmm. uh, 25 years ago, almost to the day of our first graduation, uh, which will be next month. So the idea really came from a class co-taught by Ira Harkavy and Lee Benson at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Lee has passed away since, but Ira is uh, not only uh, still at the university, but continues to lead amazing efforts at the Netter Center, thinking about community university partnerships and continuing the philosophy of, of Dewey in an actual uh, practice today. And it was in that course that I I got to understand the history of the American university and what a liberal arts education was all about and how far away American universities have strayed away from that original mission and purpose. So that was actually the aha moment. The aha moment was my first year in college understanding that universities in the American system, in the representative republic, were the guarantors of our society. They're the the ones that are supposed to be educating a citizenry to both select representatives to represent fellow citizens' interests, but also to train those people who will be representatives that will be able to actually think systematically in a completely different career. Right? These are not quote-unquote career politicians, right? In, in the image of the founding fathers, you know, they are franchise citizens that one day are doing some normal career, quote-unquote, and then are called upon to serve. Mm-hmm. And they need to have the capacity to transfer what they know from one area to a different area. Uh, it's what Benjamin Franklin called practical knowledge, what Thomas Jefferson called useful knowledge. And it's the various disciplines, the arts, that give you the right to be free, to have liberty, the liberal arts. Turns out it has nothing to do with poetry. Uh, It has everything to do with uh, being an enfranchised citizen and not having a king to rule over you. And so that that revelation hit me like a bolt of lightning because taking Chem 101 and Econ 101 and Calc 101 doesn't do that. And, and that was the, this kind of shock moment where I 
actually began to and continued to fear for the longevity of our republic uh, based on the actions of, of universities. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, because I think it's like it's become, I guess, which it's like it's true from a different point of view, but not really like embodying that true and I think really important and relevant ideal you sort of extrapolated on but like now it just seems like to me like it's like liberal arts in the sense of just like it's kind of like well yeah it's like it it could be anything or you take whatever you want or it's just very like open and just like you know and and it's like sure yeah I guess that has value like people can kind of pursue their own desires so to speak you know whether it's faculty teaching what they want or students taking kind of just you know a a wide breadth of courses but I like the way that you capture it because I know that it is like what you're or kind of have my like brain at least like captured and this. Is, I think we'll, we'll dig in a little bit now with Minerva specifically, but like you are, yeah, like really kind of honing back to that original idea of liberal arts and kind of taking it into the future. And, um, the idea of it being very, uh, done with a very expressed purpose or direction at right. least versus it being a little bit more unfocused. So, um, well, and, yeah. and just to be clear, you know, the unfocused version of it is pure fantasy. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a perfectly you know, legitimate philosophy to debate whether or not you think that that is the right way to approach education. I personally right. think it's an abomination, but that's a, uh, especially when it comes to general education. Of course, you should pick what you want to study and specialize in. That's lovely. Um, but, you know, not having systematic frameworks of thinking is not an education. Uh, I mean, that is the definition of education is the system is systems of thinking. So there's, a, but somehow in the popular opinion, this very defined, very clear term, liberal arts is not a, up for debate. It's not, oh, well, this is what I think it is. And this it is, it is a, a term of art, right? It is, it harkens back to the Roman Republic. Uh, it is the, what our founding fathers have created universities to embody this ideal. Uh, it's very clear. But it has somehow in the popular consciousness been conflated with humanities, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know, so, so often people say, oh, are you, are you studying STEM or the liberal arts? Like, no, 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 no. The arts are not the liberal arts, right? It, it is not the same thing. They're a component, right? You have to actually know, have rhetoric skills. You have to be able to communicate. That is a very important part of liberal arts. But it is not the sum total of them, not far from it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the problem is that, and, and this isn't, by the way, just a problem in the United States, the interpretation is all over the world. You go to you know, China or India and people say, oh, you know, uh, a liberal arts education, the, that means that you're unemployable, right? right? It, it, even though one has literally nothing to do with the other. I mean, the, the, the whole point of a liberal arts education is that it doesn't, tip its hat in any way to what you specialize in. It's actually completely irrelevant, right? The, the, the definition of liberal arts education is all about what happens in general education. It has nothing to do with if you major in, you know, mechanical engineering or in comparative literature. Yeah. Well, I think, and that is like, yeah, you're kind of trying to, with, you know, Minerva and my observation, I think you can speak to it obviously better than I can, but like kind of, yeah, like course correcting for that divergence that's happened um, and like really pointing it in the direction of the future. So I guess it's obviously 
a tall order, like you're saying, like this is not something that people do all the time. So if you want to to speak to, I guess, you know, just explain for people who might not be familiar, like, you know, what Minerva uh, is doing in the higher education space. And um, also just, I mean, in that context, if you can sort of break it into two parts and sort of uh, separate it too. But like, I'm just curious what kind of keeps you engaged doing this work um, since it is like a very uh, unique uh, adventure. But I guess, yeah, if you want to start really quick and just kind of give a, a snapshot of, uh, what Minerva does, and then we'll kind of dig in with some other pieces of it. Sure. So, so Minerva is really two uh, separate entities. Uh, in, at first, Minerva is a university. It's a university that has been set up to demonstrate what is possible in the world of higher education. And to demonstrate that possibility, it demonstrates it across four pretty broad areas in the sense that who we teach is very different than who a traditional highly selective university teaches. What we teach curricularly obviously is very, very different. How we teach pedagogically is very different and where we teach is very different. The actual location uh, orientation of, of, the, of the institution. And, and so Minerva as an institution is meant to be a very bright beacon and in many ways, an idealized institution that other institutions may aspire to be, but perhaps will never quite be able to get to the same level, simply because it is obviously easier to start from scratch than to have to deal with certain legacy uh, assets. Now, having said that, some legacy assets can provide you tremendous advantage as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say that other institutions cannot become better than Minerva, they can. Uh, it's just that they'll have to take a bit of a different approach in certain ways. Um, but we are we are today, as, as we firmly believe, and I think we have evidence to show, are uh, have provided the finest undergraduate educational program in the world. And we, we, we mean to continue to project that beacon for other institutions to see and follow. The second entity is the Minerva Project. So in order to to enable the university to exist, a whole bunch of things had to be built. You had to build a new curriculum. You had to build a new technology. You had to build a new operating model. You had to actually build a brand so people would know that Minerva exists. You had to hear about it and all the rest. These are all things that nonprofits simply are not structured to be able to do effectively. I mean, when was the last time uh, you bought a, uh, a piece of software that was written by a nonprofit? When was the last time you bought um, a, a book that was published by a nonprofit? Um, the, you know, it's, it's actually pretty pervasive in the educational world that the, the things that we are, uh, are experiencing and, and enjoying for even even the buildings built on university campuses are built by core profit corporations, right? So, so the the entire enterprise really relies on free market uh, type of of institutions or entities to be able to provide the component parts. And so, effectively, what the Minerva Project did was think about how do we create a learning environment that optimizes and enables this new kind of education. And then, as other institutions will look to be inspired by Minerva, we want to, of course, enable any institution in the world to just 
look at what we do. We're very open. We wrote a, a book, that 400-page book that details what makes Minerva different every way. And really, it's a recipe book for any university to, to follow. It's $20, so they do have to pay $20. But, right. uh, uh, but then they can build their own Minerva if they want. Or if they look at the extent of what we had to do in order to enable Minerva and say, wow, that's a lot for us to redo on our own, the Minerva project exists to actually enable them to use and license the system that we've built, both across the technology and the feedback mechanisms that we have, the pedagogical methodologies that are built into the system, as well as the curricular structure, which is which we reference or refer to as cross-contextual scaffolding, which is really what makes the Minerva education so effective and so unique. Yeah, very awesome. And I think to, just to, to clarify with like the... Um the sort of um, like the assets and the the, uh, the platform that you're able to, to license out because uh, that was something recently that you um, unveiled, I guess, if I'm not uh, mistaken, right. in terms of like kind of expanding the, the uh, potential of that platform. I don't know if you just want to speak right. to that really quick. Sure. Uh, so one of the things that, that we have done uh, or made a choice in our own institution to do was to offer a first a very very small uh, university so we, we only have about 150 students or so uh, coming into Minerva every year uh, but the and, and and on top of that we decided to have again because it's a small institution we have in some ways the luxury of saying well you know what all of our classes are going to be small we're going to have 100% of our of the classes at Minerva are going to have fewer than 20 students per, per class. Right. Now, a, again, this is a great example of something that we can be inspirational for other universities, but economic realities are such that most institutions can't afford to teach 100% of their students in 15, 16-person classes. It's just not economically viable. And, but initially, as we were building the, the system for use of the institution Minerva, the Minerva schools exclusively, we only needed to, to enable it for these small format classes. As we've now gotten the system to a point of maturity where it can actually be used by other institutions, it was very clear for us just getting feedback from them. You, you know, universities come to us and say, oh my God, can we have what, what you've built? By the way, we need to teach our students 100 students at a time, 200 students at a time, et cetera. And so much of the work that we've been doing over the past year has been to enable that uh, same system with the same amount of engagement and fully active learning to actually work in large format classes. And that's a, a, a very dramatic change in what is available for higher education institutions, not only because of the efficacy that the Minerva system has with with student outcomes, but you know even more practically, what it means for the cost envelope, where you can actually now offer a better than Ivy League education to students for forget room and board component because of of course you have to live and eat somewhere, so that that will that will be whatever the model of the, the institution is. But from a tuition and fees perspective, you should be able to offer a better than Ivy League education at an underlying cost of less than $5,000 per year per student. Mm -hmm. To put that in perspective, 
you go and ask an Ivy League university, you ask a liberal arts college, and you know a highly selective liberal arts college, how much is your underlying cost on a per student basis per year? They'll say it's about a hundred thousand dollars, and so it, it's it's a dramatic shift in what college affordability is uh, is looking like, but in a way that increases educational quality and outcomes, as opposed to saying, oh, well, you know, we can give you a cheap degree, but boy, you know, it's also a cheap degree. <laughs> you know, it's, right, it, right. You, don't, you don't really learn much or, uh, you know, it's, you know, you could, there are all sorts of diploma mills out there that can generate uh, college degrees out of fax machines, but they don't have uh, real, real worth. And now they imagine the ability to actually provide a, a substantially better education than you can get anywhere else. But do so with a fraction of the of the cost. Yeah, and that's what's incredible. Yeah, is that like it usually is that sacrifice of like it's like okay, we can reach a lot of people, but like it, it you know maybe be, is like really expensive right. and like and then quality and those sort of things. So like right. the idea can be like a very high end experience, cost effective for uh, students and uh, makes sense for the institutions as well. So um, yeah, it's really awesome to see and. Uh, be interesting to just kind of see how that you know just as it kind of permeates and gets out there because i think that that's there's i think a fair amount of uh organizations and folks working kind of in that frame of like how can we still provide like high-end education experiences that are accessible digitally but um you know are, are mindful of affordability as well so um, i'm very hopeful that that continues like that sort of momentum continues because i think those are all important things to be mindful of absolutely yeah um, well, so then that, that second part of the question, you know, you're doing a lot of amazing work there, um, a lot of innovative stuff, at, uh, you know, the different kind of facets of Minerva. So what keeps you inspired? What keeps you motivated? Like what, what's kind of that, where does that energy come from for you in terms of like, and like, what do you enjoy most about, about doing this? But I feel like that's, it's kind of conveyed. I get, I'm just like, you're obviously very thoughtful and very knowledgeable <laughs> about all this stuff and really committed to it. So I guess just like, you know, I'm sure this can be tough, you know, and you're just blazing new trails and things. So like, what keeps you motivated and like, you know, what do you enjoy most about the work? Yeah. You know, it's, I don't have to think about being motivated. I have this incredible privilege that I woke up one day when I was 35 years old, realizing what my life's purpose is going to be. And then have the privilege of spending the rest of my life working on this. How many people in the world have the the privilege of even knowing what they should be doing in this world, let alone having the financial backing and support and amazing a team of people that comes around them to enable them to live out their dream. It, it, you know, so I mean, it, maybe that is the motivation, but, but motivation for me is not, it doesn't even dawn on me to think about, Oh, you know, how do I deal with ups and downs or things like that? It's, it's there, there are no ups and downs for me. And, and it's actually fascinating that, you know, there are so many moments at Minerva that from an external observer perspective, 
I've, I've had so many people tell me, you know, when we raised our money and when we got our initial funding, uh, when we received our authorization to operate as an institution, when we hired our first team members, when we hired our first faculty, when we brought aboard our, our, our first students, when we they were getting internship or we were getting these amazing outcomes and results and things like that. You know, when we launched our first uh, locations abroad, so many people said, oh, my God, this must be so emotional for you. This must be such an amazing thing to experience. And and when when they started asking me these things initially, I said, oh, well, you know, uh, we got funding, you know, so what? Uh, that's what uh, beginning of the road. Or, of course, we got, a, you know, great employees. And, you know, it was... They were. They, I didn't feel any of those highs, and then as I kept not feeling those highs, I said, "Wait, is something wrong with me here? Am I, am I not connecting? Am I not appreciating the amazing things that are occurring here?" But when you're messianic, when you find a a purpose in life, and you understand that you have to see it occur, the fact that it does occur doesn't surprise you. Right? It's it's not, um, it, you know, if, if we were to have this conversation eight years ago, where Minerva was a, a concept, I mean, there was, there was nothing here, I could describe to you where Minerva would be today with relatively high levels of accuracy. Right? So, so there's... Of course, I couldn't really explain to you any syllabus, right? Or I couldn't tell you exactly what happens in a lesson plan or certainly how we would, you know, code the platform or any of those details. But I would tell you that we would be the most selective university in the United States with a student body that is more than 80% international, where students would living, be living in seven different countries around the world by the time they graduate, where... Um, they would be working extraordinarily hard and get the best educational outcomes in the world uh, where they would be demonstrating abilities to think systematically through a particular core curriculum. And I would describe the four courses of our core curriculum and I would tell you about, you know, the, the, the name Minerva and roughly what it would stand for. These were all things that were, the that was the plan. And we have defined it and made it vastly better than I could have imagined. But w without question, the view of Minerva and what it was supposed to be is what it became. And perhaps I'll feel very differently a month from now when we have our first graduation and the emotions will uh, rush out but I think of this as being on year nine of a 50-year plan. And I have a lot of work left to do, as, as we all do here at Minerva. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, just like that, that clear focus and plan and, like, you know, the vision and everything. Um, yeah, like, it just it, it, the energy is different where it might not be, like, Oh, like things are hard because I don't know what, like what I'm doing, right. or why I'm doing, whatever. It's like you have to try to seek out or find that reason. So yeah, it's like maybe maybe I'll be so lucky to like at any point in our lives have at least like just that that clear commitment and like 
and, and focus. Cause I think it could be like, cause like you're obviously committed to this for the long haul, but even like, you know, for certain people, it's like you do something for a good chunk of time and you're like, you know what? I feel like I really, you know, cause it could be like, yeah, I saw a class through to completion and graduation and they had an amazing experience that I got to be a part of from start to finish. And then like, you can like kind of hang your hat and then kind of figure out what's next, whether, obviously choose to continue doing the, the same work you were doing right. or maybe move on to something different, but you know, much the same. It's just the idea of like that energy is just from like, I'm, I'm doing this and like, I'm committed to, you know, seeing it through, whether it's, you know, obviously for, it could be as, as long as you so choose, I guess, but um, yeah. No, and you're, you're exactly right. And, and, and I think there are a, a lot of folks for whom, you know, whether it is, is Minerva or, or anything else that they do in life, when it is not your life's work, you yeah, you look at, at a big milestone, you say, oh, I've got I've gotten this milestone, great, let's move on, let's find the other milestone, right? And of course, not everybody, as soon as they get to milestone, find another one, but oftentimes that is a, a designation for, for transition. Whereas when you think about it from the long view, actually just having a conversation on this with a group of people yesterday, but when you think about it from a long view, our graduation next month for me is our first launch. I'm nine years into this process and we're finally launching. Mm. Right. And, and not a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, I was at a startup and I got to launch and then I quit. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. That that would be bizarre. Right. Because the most startups will launch three or four months after they start. Right. And so it, it, it really is dependent on your time frame. Yeah. Um, well, I guess then uh, kind of moving on from that, because maybe it's like if there's sort of interest and ideas and things that um, just kind of keep you because, you know, just again, I, I feel like you just have a very like if it's like because sometimes I, I use a different term of like geeky or nerdy or whatever. Like you just like, yeah. I think take this stuff so seriously and like in such a good way of like the importance of it and the impact of it. And like, it's such a, you know, worthwhile thing to spend so much time and energy on. So like, I don't know if, if it is stuff that's obviously just like kind of a, a degree or two removed from like the work that you're doing. That's still at least kind of related in like higher ed or um, just education in general. Um, like just anything that you're like geeking out about, like if there's books, podcasts, like people that you're following or just like anything like that, or if it's also just totally non-connected things that just yeah. kind of like keep your mind going. Um, I'm curious is, to see. This yeah. Is, yeah. yeah, this is actually one of the great uh, difficulties of being in a messianic role in a messianic organization. So there, there's a ton of stuff uh, uh, that that I that I enjoy outside of the the education world, right? So I'm I'm fascinated by you know the uh, the kinds of uh, interesting things, the 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 Freakonomics things uh, right. in uh, you know Malcolm Gladwell and things like that, and I I love Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Uh, if you want like a plug, but these are not about they're not about the world of education. Uh, but the, I was, was having a conversation with a group of our graduating students uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, and one of them we have several that are very interested in the the sector of education. And, you know, they've been through Minerva, and so they have kind of a particular view. And, and, and one of the students is, is out 
actively looking to get into the world of education technology and, and reform and things like that. And he comes up to me and he says, why is everything out there so bad? You know, why, why can't I find anything that, that takes education seriously to the level that, that I'm used to? And because, you know, being in the first class of Minerva, by the way, there's so much that we did wrong. I mean, I, I, I can't list the, the number of mistakes that we made. They were, any, any given one of them, I would characterize as being quite small, but when you make a thousand mistakes, you've got a lot to fix and a lot to change. And so when you go through the Minerva system itself, especially in the very first class, right now we're in iteration five, and it's a very big difference. But when you go through the first time around, you say, oh, wow, well, you know, the Minerva system has all of these things that you need to tweak and fix and change this and change that. You say, there must be things that are even better out there. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the the problem, and this is very much not because there are no great things out in the world of education. There are. There's a lot of great stuff in, in the world of education. The problem is, is that the nature of almost any enterprise that we encounter, especially ones that are straddling the world of the investment world or education technology, but frankly, even the nonprofit world, they have short time horizons, right? There's somebody that comes in, they say, okay, I want to build something, I want to exit in four, five, seven, ten years. And when you do that, you are almost by definition limiting your scope to something which is um, uh, incremental. Now, uh, I, incrementalism sounds terrible. I, I, I deeply offended a very famous founder of a very big ed tech company uh, by, by referring to it as, as, as incremental. And I explained, and she accepted the explanation, which was that, you, you know, you, you can get to very big scale, have impact on a lot of people in an incremental way. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? You know, if you uh, uh, add a unit of happiness, uh, a unit of, of knowledge, a unit of currency to two million people around the world, 10 million people around the world, good on you. That's good work, mm -hmm. right? But our goal is for fundamental human transformation. Now, we expect to have that occur with millions of people over time, but our horizon to make that happen is decades in the future. It takes time. We know that we've been able to do it in a microcosm with a few hundred people, and we're now starting to scratch the, the, the surface of doing it with a couple of thousand people um, as we expand the system to other institutions. And over time, it'll be tens of thousands, then hundreds of thousands, then millions. But the key is less so that it is going to be a monoculture of education. It's what we don't want to have happen is everyone in the world will just copy and paste exactly what we do at Minerva and do that for in their own institutions. Quite the opposite. But what we do stand for is the systematic new approach to education where 
when you say, I'm going to provide you an education from institution X, that institution will define what it is that it means. It will actually break it down into particular learning outcomes. It will then ensure that those learning outcomes are structured into their curriculum through cross-contextual scaffolding. So you could actually learn how to apply it in various fields, in various uh, contexts. Make sure that they adopt pedagogical methodologies that will be effective at teaching students, as opposed to doing the ineffective things that the vast majority of university credit hours are devoted to do. Mm. And that they will provide feedback systems to students so that when they are going through a well-structured curriculum, when they're going through fully active learning methodologies that make sure that things cement in their brain, that they get feedback to make sure that those things are cementing in, in appropriate ways as opposed to learning all the wrong lessons. These are three very, very basic elemental concepts. These are what make a Minerva education. The learning objectives themselves, the, the, the outcomes, that should be, there should be a huge diversity of those uh, perspectives in the world. But, but institutions really must commit to those three structural elements because we firmly believe that without them, you're looking at a medieval education and, and we are no longer living in a medieval world. Yeah. Because um, it is, a, I think, like, it's like a common example of people who are like, trying to innovate this space is like, I feel like people keep kind of shouting into the void. It was like, this model is so out of date. We need to change yeah. it. And like how like you're doing that. And like, you're saying like some of your students are like at least self-aware enough to be like, be like, Oh yeah, you guys got to like catch up a little bit more. Like you're not even close mm. yet. Like we got it. Like there's not a lot of people like at our level yet to just be like, Oh, I see like, Oh, you kind of took it this way, but we're still all kind of like, at least at the same, like, you know, baseline, but you've kind of like remixed it kind of your own way. But we're like, you're saying like still at least like delivering the education and like a, a kind of similar foundation. Um, so it's right. like, it's, right. it's hard, I guess, if you're, yeah, there's not a lot of like close near peers or anything doing things, you know, close to how you are. And that, that that's kind of the point. Like you're hoping to inspire more people to be. Exactly. You know, exactly. That, yeah. and, and this is particularly important because if you look at the efforts in education, of course, you have those who are interested in incremental improvements. And again, incremental improvements are good. They're important. Uh, but the entire world of, of education is a battle between the incremental improvements and the status quo. And then you have a small but growing field, which we think is actually equally dangerous to the status quo, which is the disruptors. Because disruptors from a fundamental motivation perspective want to destroy, right? They, 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 are, they want to replace. So they look at incumbents and say, you should not exist. Mm -hmm. And we need to create alternatives that will eventually lead to your collapse. Now, that for us is extraordinarily worrying. And, you know, I, I remember when, when, when I first announced Minerva's existence seven years ago, and I had a crazy series of, of press interviews. And one of them, that very first day, uh, I, I don't exactly remember uh, uh, the title of, of the article, but it, 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 but in the title it says, just don't call him disruptive. Because 
the 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 reporter kept saying, "Oh, you're disrupting, you're disrupting." I said, "No, we're not disruptors. We're reformers, mm-hmm. right? We're not here to destroy the existing system. We're here to save it, right?" But that mentality of doing the hard work of reform in higher education is extraordinarily rare, and and that is the tragedy. Because what, what you, the battle lines that are being drawn right now are the people who defend higher education in all of its myriad flaws. And they're going down with the ship. They're looking at statistics or showing statistics that, are, that if, if they actually had a real higher education, they would know are completely meaningless, like these correlation as opposed to causal uh, uh, types of, of statistics that people keep talking about how valuable, quote unquote, a college degree is. Mm-hmm. And and then you've got the folks on the other side that are storming the barricades and trying to bring it down. And it, because they, they see the the rot in the system and they say the system needs to be burned to the ground. And... And, and the, the difficulty is that not only are they trying to burn down the system, but all too often they delegitimize the enterprise of education to the point where even those who boost the system effectively have delegitimized it in their eyes. When I was starting Minerva and I was going and talking to potential funders, one of the biggest uh, uh, constraints uh, that were one of the biggest point, points of pushback that I got was when I, I was I was giving them kind of an overview of Minerva, and, and they said at the end, "Why do you keep talking about the curriculum? You, you say you want to create the world's best university. Look, your students are going to live in seven different countries. Good enough. That's all. That, you know, they're already going to be a, a better university than everybody else. Everyone knows you don't learn anything in college." And every one of those people graduated from an Ivy League university or from Stanford, 100%. Mm. And they firmly believed, largely accurately, that they did not learn anything in college. And worse, they couldn't conceive of how someone could learn something in college. And so this is what gives rise to the people who say, you know what, skip it. To hell with education, go work. You'll learn more in the workplace than you will in a formal educational environment. And, and this, by the way, leads to the, all the anti-intellectualism that, that we're seeing in society, by the way, not just in the United States, but all over the world. And that's very dangerous. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, because I think it, even like, you know, working primarily just in like the proliferation, proliferation of online education myself, like, Right now, it really is just like enabling institutions that have been doing this for, you know, perhaps hundreds of years to just like kind of augment themselves to be able to do the great work they've been doing just now in the digital space. So like, because some people might say it's like, oh, yeah, we need to like just blow it all up and have like private companies facilitating like online courses or, you know, whatever. Like, but yeah, I appreciate you sort of just like that that, that reformer mindset versus disruptive. I think that's, you know, people get really defensive then if they're thinking like, oh, you know this technology or these, these changes are coming and it's just going to destroy everything, you know, that's just sort of, you know, leaving all this destruction in its wake or something, but, um, kind of, uh, 
I don't know, because, yeah, it's like the more diplomatic way that I, I kind of resonates with me of just like not, uh, you know, kind of doing any harm necessarily, like while you're trying to uh, kind of innovate and improve and inspire and those sort of things. So, um, yeah, it's really cool to hear you say that just that, that sort of point of view and just um, where you kind of see yourself fitting within um, all these changes that are happening, yeah. I think, with, yeah. with education in general. And, um, yeah, we've certainly seen a lot of. I think casualties of the, what you're speaking to, like you're saying, like anti-intellectualism or just also like the lack of public funding and education, which, you know, some folks are trying to, to push back on of that, you know, education is something really important to invest in as a society and those sort of things. So, um, yeah, it's just, I feel like just observing how much, you know, like it's kind of in the zeitgeist right now for education is just right. fascinating. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess as we, as we wrap up, I, I appreciate you kind of name dropping a couple of things, um, that I feel like they are just all very also, you know, places to go like podcasts and such They're just very thoughtful. Um, and I guess if you do have anything else you'd want to send, uh, we'll certainly include the, the book that you mentioned uh, about the story of Minerva and everything and mm -hmm. uh, links out to Minerva as well. But, um, and I think you already spoke to obviously something that objectively, like you obviously are looking forward to, like you said, of like your graduating class coming here soon, but you know, we always like to end the podcast on an optimistic note um, of anything or things like uh, in your job, life, uh, and or the world that you are like just looking forward to. So um, just anything that comes to mind for any one or all of those categories. <laughs> I mean, so, so many. Look, I, I, as I said, we're about to have our first launch. We're about to release 100 Minervans into the wild. Uh, for the very first time, at least in the undergraduate level. We have uh, a few graduates of our master's program out there already. Um, and it, I am so excited to see what happens when systematic thinking, what we refer to as critical wisdom, uh, does in the real world. Uh, that's the whole point, the whole point, our mission, nurturing critical wisdom for the sake of the world is about doing things that would, without systematic thinking would be unthinkable in, in anywhere in the, in, in the world facing any type of problem. So I am looking forward to highly effective, highly unconventional approaches that we're all going to be the beneficiaries of. Initially, with a small little trickle of Minerva students out there, and eventually, you know, to hopefully as that movement catches on, to to live in a place where I, you don't turn on the news and want to tear your hair out, no matter what country you live in. Mm. Yeah, because that's a yeah. I mean, it's like it's people that all probably you know do work anywhere and everywhere in the world, and just like cross discipline. You know, like it. That's the beauty of it. I think of just yeah, for both of the programs, like the undergraduate and graduate programs you have, is that it just is so applicable to whatever that individual chooses to kind of put their time and energy uh, into. So um, yeah, it'll be really inspiring to see what uh, all the students get up to. And um, yeah, I mean, I just really appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing all your thoughts uh, and, uh, and your story and all of what you're doing and everything. And I just really appreciate your uh, time coming on the podcast here. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. This podcast is part of the Connect EDU podcast network, bringing together diverse voices in the higher ed community. Check us out on Twitter at ConnectEDUPod or at ConnectEDU.network. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. <laughs>